All right. Good morning. Hope everyone's having a great day. It's, uh, man, it's good. It's November. Can you believe this? I mean, Thanksgiving is around the corner. The holidays are coming. And I thought I would start this morning by answering the one question that's burning in all of your minds. Why is there a guy walking around with a video camera? Have you guys noticed this? Uh, I've got a friend, Patrick, I don't know if he's still in the room or not, who's helping me with a project that you'll learn more about later. But I want you to know it's totally okay. It's not normal. We're not checking attendance via video, and we're not trying to see who's giving that way. But, no, uh, I really do appreciate him being here. And and we will tell you more about that uh, in the coming weeks as we get ready to roll out uh, some very special things that I'm very excited about. Today we're talking about this idea, as, as you've heard already, of what does it mean to be uncommon, and what does it mean to be a people of uncommon generosity? I know there's been a lot of debate here lately. Um, you know, some of you are pulling for Dak, some of you are pulling for Tony, but I thought I'd start by talking about another quarterback who, uh, who you may know. Do you know uh, Andrew Luck, who is the uh, starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, this past summer, you may not know this, uh, this again, this part of my public service is to bring you all these fun facts that you wouldn't otherwise know. Uh, This past summer, Andrew Luck signed a brand new contract, making him the highest paid player in the NFL. If you can get your mind around this, it was a six-year deal for $140 million. I know what you're thinking. If he could come to church here and just tithe, we would all be okay, right? (laughs) Here's what I think is amazing about this story. Andrew Luck, highest paid player in the history of national football, the NFL. He, He still uses, you can see in the picture, he still uses a flip phone. He didn't have a new, the new Samsung Galaxy. He didn't have the new iPhone. He didn't have any of that stuff. He still walks around with like this $20 flip phone from AT&T. And in fact, when he got this new contract, AT&T actually gave him a brand new flip phone just for fun. You know, I'm sure it put him out a lot. He still walks around. He's texting the old style T9. You remember how to do this, guys? You know, he's texting in the old days where you had to push, you know, a button three times to get the letter you wanted. This is how he still lives. And he does this for a lot of reasons. But I think it's interesting because it's really uncommon. It's rare. It's remarkable. It's different. It's maybe a little bit strange, but it's incredibly uncommon, especially for a guy like Andrew Luck, a high-profile NFL, highest-paid player in the history of the NFL, to be carrying around a flip phone everywhere he goes. And in fact, if you ever see him on TV, if you ever catch him, you know, when they, when they highlight a celebrity at some game, you'll see him on his flip phone. This is how he does life still. It's just t- truly, truly uncommon. It's, it, it's remarkable. One of my favorite things to do back years ago when I was doing student ministry was every year we would take teenagers around this time of year— um, to go shopping. That may sound strange, but let me, let me tell you what we did. We would always get a list this time of year from one of our partner organizations who, who helped kids with Christmas. And we said, hey, let us do that. We'll, we'll take five, ten kids, however many you want to give us. And if you give us their name and you give us their Christmas list, uh, then we'll go and we'll make Christmas happen for these these incredible kids. And so I'd get our teenagers together and I would say, hey, bring $5, bring $10, bring $20, whatever you want to bring. And I'm going to give you the name of a child, and I'm going to give you their age and uh, their wish list, and we're going to go to the store. And I, we would literally bust them over to Target or Toys R Us or somewhere, and we would give them like 20 minutes. The guys loved it. The girls hated it. But they had to shop fast and, uh, and try to find everything they could and buy as much as they could for, for their child that they were going to sponsor for, for Christmas. And it would never fail. It would, I mean, every single—we did this for years. It, it happened every single time as we've got teenagers dashing through the store looking for— uh, the perfect gift and the perfect treasure for these kids. Every time an employee would, would grab me or stop one of us or, or someone who was shopping would come and find one of us and say, hey, what is going on? What's, this, is, this is uncommon. This is weird. 
for a group of teenagers, for this many teenagers to come and to spend their own money, to spend hundreds of dollars to buy presents for people they don't even know for complete strangers. This is incredibly uncommon. And that's, that's who we are, right? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who, who claim to follow Christ, I mean, we are incredibly uncommon just in what we believe. We believe that not a God, but we believe that the God, the one true God, came from heaven to earth and walked the planet. We, we believe that. Like that's, we, we think that really happened. We believe that, that his name was Jesus and that he lived and that he died. He was killed on a Roman cross. And then three days later, he literally rose from the dead. That's, we, believe, we believe this happened. We believe that after that, that for some 40 days, he walked the planet. He was seen by more than 500 people. And at that time, he was with his disciples, he was with the boys, and he ascended back to heaven. And we believe that he lives in heaven and he lives in our hearts. This is what we believe. And we believe that every person on the planet is a person of immeasurable worth because every person bears the image of God, is an image bearer of God. We believe that every person, every man, every woman has been gifted by God, has a spiritual gift from God to be used for the benefit of the church and the glory of his name. This is what we believe. All of these things are incredibly uncommon. And we believe this too. We believe Jesus said this and because he said it, we believe it. We believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now think about that for a minute. Because that is not what the world believes. It's uncommon. The world says, no, you're blessed when you receive. In fact, the more you receive, the more blessed you are, right? In fact, the more that you can gather, the more that you can acquire, the more that you can accumulate, that's, that, that's the more blessed you are. And so receive all you can receive and get all you can get. That's the goal of life. That's the American dream. Get it all. Receive it all. You are blessed when you receive, and we push back against that, and we say, no, 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 no. It's more blessed to give than receive. Because you see, we know what the world doesn't know. We believe, and Frank said it beautifully, but yeah, everything does belong to God. And we are stewards of that. Like he has given it to to, to us to, to manage, to be stewards of, to use for the good of others and the glory of God. That's, that's, you know, some people, some people, they believe that everything they have, they have because they worked for it. They earned it. They deserve it. They're entitled to it. They got it under their own power. And it's because of their sweat and their tears and their hard work and the fact that they pulled them up themselves up by their own bootstraps that they have every dollar that they have and they firmly believe that that's, what, that's why they have what they have. Right? And we don't necessarily believe that as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, we believe in hard work. And don't misunderstand me. We believe in people you know, benefiting and enjoying the fruits of their labor. We believe in the biblical principle that says, yeah, you reap what you sow. But we believe that everything we have comes from God because we believe what scripture says, that that God is our father and that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we believe that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and that no matter what, we, our chorus is the same. Our song is the same. No matter what happens, we sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because everything is the Lord's. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We may have received it. But because it belongs to God and because we believe in the words of Jesus, we know that we are never more like Christ. Do you believe this? I believe this. We are never more like Christ than when we give. Never. 
We are never more like Jesus Christ than when we give. And so we want to live generous lives because we have a generous father. We belong to a generous father. And it's uncommon. It's not natural. It goes against the flow. But we want to be uncommon in our generosity because we serve a God who is in common in his generosity. Did you, did you hear the words we read earlier? For God, this is, this is what everybody knows about God. For God, so what? He gave. We want to be givers because our God, our Father, is a giver. And so we want to live into that. I don't know about you. I get excited about this. Some of you are wondering, though. I can tell. I can see the look in your eye. Like, why are we talking about money and generosity and giving. It's like, Corey, do you not know what's going on in the world? Do you know what's coming Tuesday? You know, could you not have kept the, the, the Choose to Believe series one more week for today, right? Like, why are we doing this now? And I'll tell you why we're doing this now. We're doing this now because it's really a simple answer. Do you know what Jesus talked more about than anything else? He talked about this more than heaven or hell. He talked about this more than salvation or grace. He talked about this more than anything else he talked about. More verses, more stories, more parables are told about this than anything else. Jesus talked more about money than anything else. And he did it in a world, don't forget this, by the way. He did this in a world, in a time, in a culture, in a day when there was so much political tension. Oh, it was thick. There was so much cultural controversy. There was so much going on. There was so much to worry about. And I know what you're thinking. There's a lot going on right now in our world. There's a lot of political tension. There's a lot going on in our church. There's a lot going on in our family. There's a lot going on in my work. Why are we talking about generosity? We're talking about it because Jesus talked about it. And do you know why I think Jesus talked about it? Because Jesus knew something. And I think we know it too. He knew that when you talk about money, you're, you're not really talking about money. Whenever you talk about money, you're not really talking about money. You're talking about where your hope is, where your faith is where your trust is. So what I want us to do this morning and for the next couple of weeks is think about this simple idea. What would it mean for us to be a people who reflected the image of our Father? What would it look like for us as followers of Jesus to be uncommon in our generosity? What would that look like? And I know this is something that we all wrestle with. It's just true. So I want us to dive back into a, an old ancient story. This is a story we actually touched briefly on a few weeks ago. It's about a guy named Elijah, and it's in 1 Kings 17. So if you have a Bible or if you've got an app or device you want to open up, 1 Kings 17, we'll start in verse 8. There's a story here about Elijah and about a widow. And I want you to listen to how the story unfolds and to what happens, and see if this is as shocking to you as it is to me as we think about this idea of uncommon generosity. So 1 Kings 17, verse 8, the story goes like this. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, just a quick backstory: There's a famine in the land. Elijah's been living by a stream, and God's been providing for him there. But because of the drought, the stream has dried up. And so God is still taking care of Elijah. So he says, go to Zarephath. There's going to be a woman there, and she's going to feed you. She's going to take care of you. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called out to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. 
And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil at the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. All right, so I want you to get a picture of this. Elijah sees this woman and man, she's uh, in desperate times. He says, bring me some water. And she says, I can do that. Bring me some bread too. And she's like, man, I swear by the Lord your God, I've only got a little flour left and I've only got a little oil. And I'm going to prepare this last meal for me and my son. And we're going to go, we're going to die. We're going to literally die of starvation. This is how poor we are. And it's not that I don't want to help you. It's that I don't think I can help you. Because I only have enough left for a little bit of bread. And when it's gone, we're gone. Now some of you, you may not be this desperate. You may not literally be going home today and thinking I've got just a little bit of food left in the fridge and then it's sayonara. But I know there are a lot of people in the room today that you know what it feels like to be this desperate. You've encountered this kind of struggle in your life. And you know what it feels like to be desperate. You know what it feels like to maybe only have a little bit left and you want to hold on to it because you're afraid if you don't, it's going to be the end. And you're afraid that if you give up what little you got, you just don't know where the next is going to come from. And you might even call it good stewardship and good faithfulness to hold on to what you have because you know if you don't, well, you you just don't know. You're afraid. And this woman right here, let's not forget, she's afraid. And rightfully so. She has a lot to be afraid of. And I know in the room today, I mean, we're still talking about this, aren't we? There's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot to be afraid of. And in whatever way, in your life, in your world, in your home, in your faith, in your family, whatever, you may feel like you've only got a little left. If that's you, I want you to hear where the story goes. Elijah says to her, and I love these words. They're written on every page of scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always, always be flour and olive oil. There will always be enough left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends the rain and the crops again. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point in the story, like I'm shocked. And just just think, sometimes we read these stories and we forget to think through them, but just think about this for a minute. This woman has just told Elijah, she's confessed the reality of her desperation that, look, I'm making this last little bit of bread and then we're going to die. And Elijah, a man of God, a person of faith, has the audacity to say to her, go do that, but make a little bit for me first. Now, just think about that. Just think about that. How ridiculous is that? You know, Elijah, do you not have a bone of compassion in your body? Why in the world are you thinking, even for a moment, of putting your needs ahead of her needs, right? Like, why would you do that? 
You know how desperate she is. You know that her and her son are about to just die of starvation. And you're asking her to take care of you first. You're asking her to put your needs above her needs. Elijah, are you not a man of God? I mean, what would we have said if, we, if this happened in real time in front of our eyes? We would have been outraged, right? No, Elijah, if you're a man of God, this is what you do. Go start a GoFundMe account for her and let's get some money raised to take care of this woman, right? Go rally the people of God and let's take up a collection and let's, let's provide for her and her son. Let's do something to take care of her. Let her take her bread and eat it and then let's find ways to come around her and support her and supply all of her needs and provide for her. That's what we should do. But Elijah doesn't say that. He says, no, take care of me first. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but to me that just is, is like mind-blowing. It's shocking. Why in the world would Elijah, in this moment, put his needs above her needs? And I think there's a truth revealed in this story that is, man, it's powerful. Because what Elijah, it wasn't what Elijah wanted from her. It's what he wanted for her. And Elijah knew this, that when you give first to God, there will always be enough. When you give first to God, There will always be enough. So listen to what happens. Verse 15, so she did as Elijah said. She found the faith to do it. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. There was always enough. There was always enough. Because when you give to God first, there's always enough. And for me, this is, just a, this, this is a great reminder of this simple truth, is it not? That when you, when you live your life, when, you, when you're giving out of obedience to God, you get to live in the abundance of God. And for a lot of us in the room, I think we need to hear that today. That when you give out of obedience to God, when you faithfully give out of obedience to God first, that then you get to experience the abundance of God. You get to experience living in the abundance of God. Jesus even said this when he came. He said, I, uh, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it what? Have it abundantly. To have abundant life. So I want to ask, are you, just honestly, are you living in the abundance of God today? Like, really, are you experiencing the abundant life? Uh, you know, the truth is, you could be the wealthiest person in the room right now by the world standards and not know what it's like to experience the abundance of God. And by the same token, you could be the absolute poorest person in the room today by the world standards. And you could be the wealthiest person because you know what it is to experience the abundance of God. One of the things that I've always loved doing, I've, I've been blessed like some of you have so many times, to go to different third world countries. And I've got friends today uh, who live in different places who literally have cardboard walls and dirt floors for a home. And you go and I'll go and we'll visit them and we'll sit with them and we'll sing with them, we'll pray with them, we'll talk with them, we'll enjoy time together with them and their kids and their family. And I always walk away and I always have this same question like burning in my brain. Like, why are these people so happy? Have you ever had this experience? Like, they literally have nothing. Why are they so incredibly happy? And I I think it's because... What's even more crazy is I realize how unhappy I am so often, how unhappy the people I hang out with are so often, but they're so happy. And I'm, 
And I'm wondering, what, why is that? And I think it's because, it's because they know what it is to depend on God. Like, they literally have to depend on God, like every day, for food, for shelter, for safety, for provision. And every day they ask God to provide, and every day he does provide, and every day they thank God for his provision, and their faith is just huge. They have great need, and because they experience God's supply and his provision and his abundance, they have great faith. And sometimes I think the reason I don't have a great faith is because I don't have any great needs. And that may be a problem for a lot of us. Is if we're honest, like we wouldn't say this out loud, so I'll say it out loud for you. You don't need God. You, you don't need God. You got it covered. That's what you think. There's enough cash in the bank. You got enough assets. You got it covered. The problem is, if you don't need God, you may never know God. And the reason these people that I love so dearly and that I call friends and even though they have so little, they need God. And because they need God, they know God. They know God more than I know God, more than you know God. They know God because they have a need. They need God. And what I want for you and me is I want us to, I want us to, to, to realize that we need God too. Because when you need God, that's when you come to know God. And we're not talking today about giving because I want you to give more money to this church. We're talking about giving for the same reason Jesus talks so much about giving. It's because God doesn't, I mean, again, Frank should have preached today. God doesn't need anything from you. It's never been about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. And if you can come to, to need God, then you can come to know God. And when you give to God first, you realize that there is always enough. And when you give out of obedience to God, you get to experience living in the abundance of God. And all of this is part of our faith. We talk about giving for the same reason we talked about faith and fear, but the same reason we talked about heaven this summer, the same reason we'll talk about prayer and communion and baptism and all these wonderful things, because we realize this is not a financial matter. This is a spiritual matter. And if we became generous people just like our father is generous oh, then we get to reflect his heart and then we get to come to know him and experience him in ways we never have before I, I don't know about you I grew up in a family that, um, that went to church every Sunday and my family I, I mean don't get me wrong we had everything we needed but I, I wouldn't have ever called us wealthy. But every Sunday we came to church, I have this distinct memory. Some of you have the same exact memory if, if you're like me and you grew up in church. I have this distinct memory every Sunday when that collection tray came by, my parents every Sunday faithfully, out of obedience, they put, they put a check in that plate every single Sunday. And I didn't always know enough, but I knew enough to know that that couldn't have always been easy because I just have to believe there were things that we could have done if they would have kept that money. I have to believe there were opportunities that, 
me and my sister probably missed, things we wanted to do that we were told no, and the reason was we didn't have the money. The reason we didn't have the money is because part of that money, at the first of every month, (laughs) my parents made a decision to give first to God, to give first to the local church. And every Sunday they did that out of faithful obedience to God. I'm so thankful for that example and for that memory and for their faith. And I know it couldn't have been easy. I know that there were Sundays where it was hard. I'm sure there were, there were weeks where they were like, mm, maybe if we just withheld this week and the next week we'll be able to give again. But as far as I can remember, that never, ever happened. They always, always gave. And, you know, I'm sure there were Sundays where they were probably wondering, man, is this money we're giving, is, is it being used wisely? Is it being spent in the right places? I'm sure there were Sundays when they came to church where they may have had a disagreement about what the church was doing or the direction it was going. But you know what my parents always did faithfully, obediently, as far as I can remember every single Sunday. I never remember it not happening. Every single Sunday, no matter what, they always gave faithfully and obediently back to God. And I don't hold them up to you as heroes. I just hold them up to you as examples, like they've been examples to me to say this. There's something about faithfully and obediently giving back to God. Because when you, get out of, when you give out of obedience, you get to live out of the abundance of God. And even to this day, I wouldn't classify my family as wealthy, but I would classify my family as a family that has enjoyed the abundance of God in so many ways. We've experienced His goodness, His kindness, His grace, His favor, His provision, His protection. There are so many ways And I credit that in part to my parents' faithful obedience of giving week after week. I know a lot of people who would say, yeah, I hear that, but, you know, I like to give where I know I have some control over where my money's going. In fact, you know, statistically speaking, if we're just looking at national averages in churches, There's probably a third of you in the room today that aren't giving to Riverside. Now, I don't know that for a fact. I don't have access to your accounts. And who's giving what? I don't want it, by the way. But just a national average, they say a third of the people who go to any given church don't give to that church. And if that's true here, I'm not sure it is. I would be surprised. But if you're here and you're not, if you consider Riverside to be your faith family, if you consider yourself a member of this church and you're not giving to this church, Man, that that makes my heart hurt for you. And it's not about the church. God's going to provide for Riverside. I'm not worried for one second about that. It's about the simple fact that you're missing out on what God wants to do for you. You know, what if that woman had said no to Elijah? Think about that for a second. I mean, we would have thought she was doing the right thing if she did. We would have probably supported her decision to say no to Elijah. No, I, I can't give you any, any bread because I only have a little oil. I only have a little flour. I just can't do it. I don't have it to give. And frankly, I don't know you. I don't want to give it to you. <laughs> we would have had her back. But if she had never given first to God, then you know this. She would have never experienced the abundance of God. And there are so many people today They can't figure out what's going on in their life. Their spiritual life is broken. They don't know how to fix it. And I'll tell you, this is part of it because giving and and your finances and your money, it's not not just a financial matter. It's a spiritual matter. And if you never give out of obedience, you'll never live out of the abundance of God. 
And you may say, Core, you don't get it, man. Finances at my house are tight. Like we're this deep in debt. We got this going on. We owe this much money to these five different things. We just don't have it to give. And, and you're right, I, 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 I don't get it. I've, I've been there. Uh, I've lived to tell about it. I know some things, but I don't know everything. And I couldn't possibly, in a matter of two or three weeks, teach you everything there is to know about money or getting out of debt or, or being able to give more. There are incredible people, incredible financial teachers who, have, who, have, who can tell you that. I've put some books in the at-home center that can help you with that. But I'll tell you what everybody says. What all the financial experts say, what all the people who have faith, who, who know what they know about money, that are way smarter than me, they all say the same thing. It doesn't matter where you are, give first to God. It can be small. You see, the number isn't, isn't the point. It's never been about the amount. It's always been about the heart. Jesus once said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. Faithful obedience in your giving is not about the amount. It's always about the heart. And what I want through this series for us to realize together is that we can experience as a church what it means to live in the abundance of God. When we reflect in our hearts, when we reflect in our hearts the generosity of our Father, Again, Jesus said this, and I just love this verse. In Luke 6, he said these words. They're just powerful words. Are they on the screen? The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, good measure, poured over into your lap, overflowing, because the amount you give will be given back to you. Jesus has said, I will, there will always be more than enough if you will give first to God. Church, if you would, stand with me. Not sure how much oil and how much flour you have. I'm not sure what's going on in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your spiritual life, in your walk with the Lord. But my encouragement to you is the encouragement that Jesus gave to us. Remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we give ourselves away, we give ourselves first to God. Yeah, it's, it's our finances, it's our time, it's our talent, it's all of those things. But it's all of those things because it reflects what God has given to us. And when we put our hope and our faith in God in a very literal, tangible way, then we get to experience the presence and provision of God in a literal, tangible way. In church, you've seen it. I've seen it. I could tell you stories about people that gave first to God, not knowing what's going to happen next. And then all of a sudden, there was a bag of groceries on their front doorstep. There was a check in the mail they didn't expect. They found a $20 bill in their coat pocket. They didn't know it. They, didn't, they weren't looking for it. But out of nowhere came this blessing that they didn't even know was going to come. But because they trusted God, God surprised them and blessed them in return. And those stories, some of you have those stories. You know those stories because you've given your oil. You've given your flour. You've given of what you have to God first. And because of that, your faith grew. May our faith grow as well. Let's sing.